All right, for Tuesday, the 3rd of January, 2017. Yes, it's 2017 already. This is Free the Geek FM, the podcast about building a rewarding career as a professional software developer and technical writer. All right, and welcome to another episode of Free the Geek FM. In this episode, I am really, really excited. I had the pleasure to sit down recently and talk with Dan Allen. You may know him as, I think it's Mojave Linux. Uh, if you haven't heard of Dan, Dan is one of the leads on the ASCII Doctor project, which is the tooling system behind the ASCII Doc format, which makes it easy and really simple to write in ASCII Doc and to render it to any given format. He is, and I will quote his Twitter profile here, open source developer, community catalyst, JVM polyglot champion, ASCII doctor project lead, Achillean strategic advisor, once and future author. Now, let me give you a little bit of a rundown on ASCII doctor. ASCII doctor is, and I quote ASCIIDoctor.org, a fast text processor and publishing toolchain for converting ASCII doc to HTML, sorry, HTML5, DocBook, and more. ASCII Doctor is written in Ruby, packaged as a Ruby gem, and published to rubygems.org. The gem is also included in several Linux distros, including Fedora, Debian, and Ubuntu. It is naturally open source, hosted on GitHub, and released under the MIT license. And if that wasn't a sell for you enough, you people who love doing technical writing and writing of any nature, here is a quote from one Mr. Linus Torvalds. Use ASCII doc for document markup. Really, it's actually readable by humans. Easier to pass and way more flexible than XML. Now that is the official lines. The reason why I wanted to have a chat to Dan, and I'm very appreciative that he sat down with me, is because recently, uh, as I have taken on the role of document lead at OwnCloud, um, I had to, I guess in effect, I had to, I, I sort of was confronted with having to actually deal with my challenges and frustrations with Markdown, which I've been kind of nerdily in love with for some time. And during that time, I went looking for other formats and thought, okay, what is the one that really ups your proverbial game? And to, to use that cheesy line, takes you to the next level. I will never use that line again. And there I came across two formats. The first was restructured text or RST, and the other was ASCII doc. Now, I've been working a lot with restructured text, as that's what OwnCloud uses in combination with the Sphinx doc project. But I've recently sat down and started converting my Zen Framework 2 Foundations book to ASCII doc so that I can um, continue to keep it updated. And also a new book that I'm releasing, one which I'm not going to say too much about just yet, purely in ASCII doc format. And honestly, having used the two for roughly the same amount of time and roughly to the same level, ASCII doc has won me over. Absolutely, 100%, I could not be more positive. Now, I'm not going to bash restructured text as such. That's not what I'm doing. I'm not wishing to do a hack job here. But I will say that the the style, or sorry, the, the format of ASCII doc, um, that it is, you could sort of say like, like a a cousin, a, a big, wiser brother to Markdown, that it doesn't seem to enforce these sort of arbitrary rap lines at 80 characters, and a number of other things, has me thinking ASCII doc is the one to go with. What's more, 
Dan and some of the wider community, um, for the ASCII doc community that is, have been extremely helpful. The documentation for ASCII doc and ASCII doctor is amazing. And I really, really genuinely feel that that is the way to go. I'm even considering, though I don't know how much I'm actually going to do it, but it's open at this point, considering porting ASCII doctor to PHP. But that's a, that's an up in the air sort of thing. But anyway, that's a, a pretty big, huge, emph- emphatic sell from me. Now I'm going to hand you over to the fireside chat between Dan and myself. Dan has absolutely loads to share. He shares how he got into it, how he brought the project around, how he, you know, sort of why he, would you say, sort of fell in love with it, what his motivations are, how he loves documentation and technical do- documentation, and a whole lot more. Seriously, strap yourself in. Get your favorite beverage and hang on for this amazing journey that Dan takes me on. And I'll see you afterwards. My name is Dan Allen, and I'm currently the lead of the ASCII Doctor project. Uh, but, you know, it, that, that's sort of the middle of the story. The beginning of the story is that, you know, once in a, in a blue moon, I was a PHP developer and then, and then became a Java developer and a pretty big Java uh, EE advocate. So um, it was about, I think it was about five years ago, I was working on the Archelian project and one of the tasks that we had uh, was to build this community out was that we needed to educate people about how to um, use it. So Archelian is an integration testing uh, platform and we really wanted to change the way the developers were working. We wanted them to take a more test-oriented approach, but Java EE just like uh, many enterprise stacks is is difficult to test. So, so Archelian broke down those barriers, those walls, and it allowed you to run your code in a real environment, uh, but uh, in a test. And so that that mindset change is hard. So we said, you know, what we need is we need a really good website and a tutorial, and we need to explain to people what our message is and our, and our vision is and how to do it and how to get started. So content's going to be a really important part of this. So we sat down and started like at Java One one year, we said, let's create a website, let's do this. You know, you bunch of uh, people together doing some conference-driven development, we thought, hey, let's make a website. Mm-hmm. So, but when we were, when we were planning to do that, uh, we said, well, I mean, what are we going to write in? You know, it, it immediately came up, and all of the, the documentation we were writing at that time was written in DocBook. We had written the, uh, the Seam documentation, which was a, a framework kind of that Archelian was inspired by and came out of, was written in DocBook. Uh, the the uh, CDI implementation, uh, which was kind of the core at the heart of what Archelian was testing, was written in DocBook, et cetera, et cetera. So Red Hat was doing a lo- all their documentation was in, in DocBook. And we said, well, we're not going to write a website in DocBook. That's, that's crazy. And we didn't really like writing documentation that way. It wasn't something that we enjoyed doing. Mm-hmm. So we said, let's, we, we can do whatever we want. So let's pick what we actually want. So we did a bunch of research and we had actually um, arrived at Textile. We had looked at Markdown, but the reason that we didn't um, like Markdown, which I'll get into a little bit later, but since we were building a website and we knew what we were building, we needed a little bit more control over the HTML. And Textile was like that, it was like right in between. It was sort of, it was, it, gave, it was aware of HTML. It had HTML constructs in it, but it, was, but it was flat and plain text just like Markdown. So we said, well, this will work really well. So we did the initial tutorials in that. And I think that that was important because it's important to choose kind of something that isn't quite right first because then you can see what's not there. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. see what's missing. You have an appreciation for it. 
And so we did the tutorial and we, we liked it and people, and what we definitely got right away was that people said, wow, we'll help, uh, no problem, this is easy, it, it, it's not uh, daunting, we'll get involved. And so we got a lot of people involved and as a matter of fact, the big um, testament uh, for the Archelian community was, or the big discovery I think that we had in terms of getting people involved in content was that people uh, have take a lot of pride in translation. So people from different countries will take a lot of pride in their own language and we got more translations than I've ever seen in documentation for the Archelian tutorial within just a, a couple of months. And a lot of that was us at conferences going up to someone that we knew spoke a different language or their native language was, was um, was different than English and we said hey would you be willing to do this and it's really easy you know, but that was the thing we would lead with it's just text out it's really easy it's plain text you would basically just open up the editor and just do a straight translation you don't have to worry about a lot of the structure and tags mm -hmm. and they said yeah sure we'll do it just um, we said just send a pull request when you're done so this is all foreshadowing for what would come later is that we started to realize that this is how we would be able to work with developers so anyway we did we did the tutorials in textile and it was it was okay but I was still frustrated that it wasn't um, it wasn't very portable and it wasn't uh, it didn't give me a good um, didn't give me the power of transformation that I had like let's say with DocBook so it was still lacking uh, in something okay. so I kept looking because I was doing trainings for uh, JBoss was getting into doing trainings for Java EE and stuff and we said and they said well we're going to need to do these trainings are we going to do it in textile and I said nah I don't know let me let me do a full assessment of all the languages and this is when I looked at restructured text, I looked at Markdown, um, I looked at uh, ASCII doc and I looked at a couple of other formats and I, what I did was I tried to, I had a tutorial that I had written and I tried to write that tutorial in each of the languages to see if I would get the control because I already knew what textile was giving me and I already knew some of the things I was looking for that were missing and uh, and so I would, and I, and I dove into that and I at first, I thought restructured text, this is it, right? It gives me um, the abstraction that DocBook was giving me, but it has some constructs that allow me to uh, to put in uh, some things like roles, some metadata, let's say. Mm -hmm. And that's something that Markdown was missing. It was like this particular listing block or this particular paragraph, I know I'm going to do something special with it. Like this might be, or I'll give another example, this is a list of items but it's, but it's kind of a feature list or it's an agenda. I want to be able to mark it that way so I can style it that way. And in Markdown, I can't make any list any different than any other list. So that was something that was frustrating. So restructured text had some concept of roles. So I said, okay, that's good. I can put roles and those will get passed through as classes and then I can style it. That's pretty good. And so I was like, pretty good, but there were some things that I couldn't do. And I, and I was getting frustrated by the fact that I couldn't do them in restructured text. And the more I wrote, the more I didn't really, it didn't feel like the way I had felt about textile. It, something didn't feel right. It didn't really gel. There was a lot of requirements for indentation or spaces in various places that felt awkward. So I kept looking and then I tried ASCII-Doc. Now, the reason I tried restructured text before ASCII-Doc was because when I went to the ASCII-Doc site, I mean, to be honest, you know, keeping it real, it looked ugly. <laughs> and so I thought, well, if this site is ugly, my documentation is going to look ugly. Yeah. So, you know, that that's important because later that comes. There's a there's a really important um, message that you send when you look, you know, professional. You look like 
something that can be attained. So when people see it and they see something professional, they think, well, I can then achieve that because if they achieved it, I can achieve it. If they don't see something that looks very professional, then you know they, they tend to think, well, if they couldn't make it work, how am I going to make it work? Yeah, yeah, definitely So agree. I passed it up because of that. And so I went back to it and I looked at it a little a little and their examples weren't that great either I mean the examples were kind of boring and I didn't re I just didn't get a feel so anyway I, I said well let me give it a shot so I started writing and I had taken about four hours or so to put the restructured text guide and in 20 minutes I had converted it to ASCII doc and I said wow this is this is working I mean it's a lot simpler to type there's a lot more features but I mean, it's just something about the the syntax is allowing me to work quicker, and I and I and I th that was important because it was like it, it was empirical. It was it, it wasn't like I want this to be better. It was just working for me, and so that that I took um, as an important sign. So I got into it, and so we said, let's do this ASCII doc thing. But what I particularly liked about it was that. It allowed me to add metadata just about anywhere. So anytime I wrote a paragraph or a list or a, or a block or, or a sidebar or something like that, I could also add a bunch of attributes just like HTML where I would be able to just put some attributes on there and later you know, I would be able to do something with it. Or you know, I could put roles that would eventually that get translated into CSS classes and I know what I can do with CSS classes. I can make uh, the styling look different. So anyway, I said, this is it. So I wrote this Google Plus post. I said, this ASCII doc is amazing. That's what the title of the post is. And it's my most popular Google Plus post I've ever had. Not that Google Plus is much of a network, but <laughs> it, it was really the, the start of it. Because what I realized was not only could I, not only was this going to work for me, but uh, I think that we could take this pretty far. And so I'll fast forward a little bit. So we, we, I ended up doing all the training then, uh, the educational materials uh, for, for JBoss that I was writing in ASCII doc. And, but there was one major problem, and that major problem was that, uh, was that it was, we, we were using a static site generator that was written in Ruby at the time, and Python, um, uh, ASCII doc Python is written in Python, and there's no really good bridge between the two languages. You have to shell out to the command line, and that's really slow. Uh, for the for the static site generator without trying to come up with some other type of, of, of solution mm -hmm. for doing IPC or something. Yep. So we said, well, this kind of is a drag, but we went ahead and moved forward with it anyway. But our eyes were definitely looking at, well, how do we get this to work in Ruby or, or Java or JavaScript or, you know, anything else other than Python? Mm -hmm. And um, it was just a couple months later, and I knew, I knew a couple people at GitHub, and someone from GitHub said, hey, I just want to let you know um, there's this effort going on inside of GitHub to write uh, ASCII doc in Ruby. And I said, really? That sounds interesting. Well, send me the link and I'll check it out. So I, um, I got the link to it. I was kind of aware that maybe some sort of project was, was going on, but I got the link to it and I said, this is really cool. Uh, it's very, very, very new. It's very um, underdeveloped, but you know, it's promising. So I started sending some pull requests like over the Christmas holidays you know, and, and I said, well, let's see, let's just give it a shot. Let's try to help a little bit, maybe move it along. And my goal literally at that time was get it working enough. Just recognize paragraphs and lists and section titles. Don't even worry about like getting a full thing. If we can get a decent preview in Ruby or, um, sorry, on GitHub or, or in a static site generator, 
that's good enough. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be like half done. And that was kind of how I got started with ASCII Doctor is that, well, maybe I'll just add a couple of features and that'll be, I'll just call it a day. <laughs> um, and little did I know four years later, I would be working on it still. But um, it was amazing because because I got involved with that effort. So in some ways we saved, that effort saved ASCIIDoc because what happened was about that same time, GitHub found a vulnerability in ASCIIDoc Python or several vulnerabilities in the architecture of it. And they said, we can no longer use ASCIIDoc Python on the website. So either we have a replacement implementation or we're just dropping support for ASCIIDoc. And if GitHub dropped support for ASCIIDoc at that time, I think it would have killed the language. Okay. Because most people cite being able to preview the, the readmes in ASCIIDoc on GitHub as sort of the most important feature for a language being recognized. Hmm. Uh, well, for ASCIIDoc or any other language, for, for it being recognized, and certainly to be a competitor against Markdown. So I started at that point just racing to do the implementation as fast as I could. And the idea was GitHub had given us a date that they were going to pull ASCIIDoc out and we had to have the Ruby implementation done to a certain point for it to be a to be swapped in, or else they would they would drop it. And so I got, let's say, seventy five percent of ASCIIDoc implemented by that time, and it was good enough that we could render most readmes. And they did a they did a basically a hot swap. They took ASCIIDoc Python out and put ASCII Doctor in, and most users didn't even notice. Impressive. Because the goal of ASCII Doctor was to try to do exactly what ASCII Doc Python was doing without looking at the implementation. So we were doing a clean room implementation, but we needed the same output. And so anyway, that 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 whole thing was, you know how it is, like you get started on stuff when there's some sort of emergency, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, we're saving the language, we're saving my tutorials and all this stuff. And you really, I really felt like I was behind it. But one of the things that really was interesting to me about ASCII Doctor as I was working on it that ASCII.Doc Python didn't have was was one of the reasons I liked ASCII.Doc Python was because it was a it was a language that was built to be extended, but it was extended in kind of a weird way, and that it had this built-in proprietary templating system, or not not a um, standard templating system, okay. and it was kind of awkward, but at the same time powerful. So you're like, well, it's awkward, but I like what I can do with it. Okay, so what we thought is in ASCII Doctor, what if we what if we made it so that it was so that converters, so the thing that made took ASCII Doc and converted into HTML, what if that was an extension point? So ASCII Doctor was built from the beginning that the converter was actually your code. So you would get it would parse the document into some sort of AST, and then it would pass that AST into the converters, which were templates that were it was a we used a generic template engine. So anything that you wanted to write, Hamel, Slim, um, ERB templates, you know, even Ruby templates, whatever template you wanted to do, you could actually make the HTML. And the important thing there was the HTML was 100% customizable by you. Hmm. Because a lot of times when you when you see a language, you know, the first thing that people want to tweak is they want to tweak the HTML, they want to tweak the output. So we built it that way, and that actually ended up being the beginning of what I believe was the philosophy that allowed ASCII Doctor to really start to um, stand out and and sort of win over people because the idea was you're in control. Like it's not something that 
um, that something it's not being decided for you that's just a default but you're 100% in control and I mean not, so many times on a mailing list post or an issue tracker I've emphasized 100% of the HTML that ASCII doctor generates you can change so and then people are like really that's great and that allows them I think to break through when they feel like they're stuck because they know that they're the ones that are in control of their own destiny and that and that allows people to um, kind of find them their way out of you know uh, a, sort of the constraints or a jail cell you know they don't feel like they're being hamstrung by this particular thing they feel like they're in control and um, so and we've taken that a lot farther so anyway so that that kind of was how I got started and I absolutely believe that so I was um, before I had gotten involved in in any of this stuff I had written a, a book uh, on one of the one of the framework that I was working on at the time a seam and I wrote that in word and I had when I finished that book I said I would never in my life write a book in word ever again <laughs> I can't imagine why <laughs> I know, I, but I think that the key for me the key was uh, was that it just didn't feel like it didn't feel comfortable because I'm a developer and I'm used to using my development tools and I have to do I have to use different tools when I write mm. and nothing feels natural nothing feels integrated so I knew that whatever I did in the future I would take a development oriented approach so for instance I mean the most obvious thing is the book was not stored in a version control system and the I think the one thing that all developers have in common the universal um, tool is the version control system that's why github is so popular that's why git is so popular because that's the one thing everyone has in yep. common is that we all store our code in a version control mm -hmm. system and the fact that you're you know they the uh, the publisher that i use use some sort of uh, sharepoint like tool where you would have to go into a web site and you would have to click on the resource and sort of upload a new version and then it would it would create, you know, quote unquote, some sort of version in their system, but it wasn't like you could diff it, or it wasn't like you could roll back to it. It was, it, it didn't feel natural. And I think that that workflow um, is a non-starter for developers. Like when they when they see that they have to do that, they they clam up and they shut down, mm -hmm. and they just don't they just don't want to participate. Yep. And the thing that we learned from the Archelian time was that whether we're talking about Markdown or restructured text or textile, actually, some to some to some degree, none of that really matters. If you tell a developer that the content is in a Git repository and they can just clone it, change it, commit it, and send a pull request, uh, or just push the changes to master, then then you have something that's actually going to work for mm. them. And I think that you know the the developers have all the knowledge in their head. And I once talked to this writer, and she said to me, you know, if if I could get a developer to write information on a paper napkin and give it to me, I could make that work. The biggest problem is I can't get the information out of the developers' heads. They won't participate. They just won't even show up. They won't share because they feel like we're, you know, we're, we're sort of like from another planet. We're 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 aliens. And I I I liken this to at the beginning, developers and testers had that type of relationship. The, you know, the testers and developers really felt like they were from two different yeah. worlds. And when the developer <laughs> finished, they just threw it over the wall. That's right. And we made some progress, right? We said, hey, there's, there's these tools like JUnit and, and the unit testing frameworks where we can, we can sort of start to collaborate on some tests. And then we can get into the integration testing frameworks and, and, and on up the stack. Yeah. Well, I think that we ended up 
as we sort of turned around, we realized that the writers and the document developers had the exact same problem in their relationship in that writer developers would say, well, we write the code, you, you write about, you document the code, we don't do that. That's, that's just not what we do. Yeah. And I think that it, it really does come down to, you know, collaboration begins with finding common ground. So for me, writing in plain text and writing where we can use Git repository and using developers tools is, um, you know, that's the common ground. And so obviously that requires the writers to change their flow. But one of the things that I always point out is that it's not like the writers have a really great flow to begin with. And, I, and not to insult them, but it's like the developers have been working together for, we know that Git and version control systems work, mm. right? Yep. We have millions of projects that demonstrate that this type of collaboration works. The writers are minority in that their, um, their workflows aren't necessarily that widely adopted. They're used by publishing houses and they're used by authors. But when you talk to the writers and the authors of books, they don't come away going, you should see what they do for their workflow. It's amazing. Usually it's, that was, you know, that was torturous what they made me do. So I, I feel like maybe, um, you know, finding a, a good way to explain it, you know, and, and saying, you know, come over to our side, but give these things a chance and let us know what you think. Well, the great thing is that we've done that. And the feedback that I've gotten from the writers is, this is incredible. I mean, some of the stuff that you, that the developers have um, is just amazing. So we, we do have the opportunity to uh, use that as a common ground because I believe that it, it really is um, something that's proven. So, uh, yeah, so anyway, um, that's kind of how I got into doing um, ASCII Doctor. But what continues to drive me today is that I actually think that the number one problem still in technology is being able to explain, being able to share a message and being able to explain the value of the technology that you've created. And so that really requires that we get better at doing content creation. So I don't even think we're really near where we need to be. There's still a long way to go. And that means that the tools, um, you know, and the workflows for writing need to get even better. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like, oh, well, we've got Markdown or we've got ASCIIDoc, all problems are solved. Um, I think that we can go a lot further by bringing other types of development practices um, and more collaboration into the writing world from the development world so that we really can work together and, and, and we can leverage each other's brains. I mean, we've talked to people who have said, you know, we've tried to write documentation for two years, we've tried to do training for two years, and it, every initiative seems to fail. And so those are the, you know, those are, that's where we are still. And, and so we're still trying to, um, to evolve in that way. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that there's still a lot of work to do. Um, that's like, it's, it's interesting that you raise a number of those points because just recently I started, um, cause I'm freelance, um, sort of a mixture of technical writing and software dev. Um, I admit that whenever I say that people look at me a bit strangely, like, are you really a developer? <laughs> because my right. developers don't talk. And so it kind of has this, there's, there's always this element of suspicion that you have to sort of get through at first, but that's an aside. Um, and I started with, uh, like sort of part of a time with a local company and they've got, they've got docs and there is, there is a lot of documentation and it is in RST and Sphinx. And one of the big questions was, is like, okay, there's one of you, how are you going to get our developers to document that? 
And so I guess it's, it was interesting to sort of hear you say that, to say, okay, we need to sort of bring the two as close together as we possibly can. And like at, at this stage, it's still really new for me there. I think I've been there for like two weeks. And I did, I admit, I came from very kind of marked down because that was where I was. But I think, as I mentioned in, in when we started, started to chat, I was starting to do like a hack here and a hack there. And it's like, okay, there's got to be a better way. So this opportunity has been brilliant to say, okay, well, you're an RST. So what are, how does this work? And what are the other options? And I think similar to, to how you felt, I started working with RST and I, I don't mind it, but it's a very sort of qualified answer. Um, in that it's like, yeah, it works, but the more I'm kind of using it, the more it's like, well, but why do you do it that way? Why, why do I have to, that's just... Right. And there's lots of these kind of like uh, sentences that never finish and you sort of go, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was starting, because they were very big on, we really, really want this to work, but we, um, if I've read them correctly, we have an element of doubt that we don't know that it will. So I thought, all right, well, let's, <laughs> let's give this the absolute best shot I can, I can do. And I, so I, I, I think I plugged into Google, it was like Markdown and then restructured texts and up comes along ASCII doc. And I'll be fair, I hadn't heard of it up until then. And thought, okay, well, look, um, it's, it's brand new. I've got some time to play. So, all right, I'll give it a go at, like I've, I've used Markdown enough. I'll try out RST and I'll try out ASCII doc. And it was the same kind of feeling. It's sort of like, this just seems to work. There's just, I can't quite put my finger on it, though I'm getting better at doing it. But it just mm-hmm. worked. Like the, the, the style of the syntax just seemed to work really well. It was similar enough to sort of Markdown, which a lot of it I really like for that. It's just text. Um, that lack of sort of, why do I have to indent here and, and cut off there? Like I kind of get this idea about, was it a one line per, per sentence or one line per thought? But then... Uh, and maybe you can sort of, you know, give, point me in a better direction. I started using tools like Grammarly a lot where I'll just put a paragraph in and say, okay, scan it and pick up the things that I just haven't seen or I don't know yet. Right. And so when I dump kind of paragraphs that are um, cut at, say, 80 characters, it'll say, well, you've got a fail there and a fail there. And it, right. it, that, for, for me, at least where I am right now, that doesn't feel like a, a way to like do proofreading. And, and maybe it's just a thing in my learning curve. But um, so for a lot of reasons, I just kind of looked at ASCII doc and thought, this just, it, it kind of fits like a glove. And, mm-hmm. and then the tooling was like, the, the, the thing I get most frustrated with, I don't vocal it, vocalize it like a friend of mine did when the, doc, <laughs> the docs were wrong. And he said, no, they lied. And I said, mate, but you know, someone's made a mistake. No, the docs lied. You don't do that. And he was really getting wound up. And I was like, ah. Oh. And I, I get that similar kind of way. Like if, if the docs say, okay, now we do this, we do this, we do this, and you will be up and running. I mean, yeah, versions change and, and so on, but you kind of like, you're getting a sales pitch as it were. Mm-hmm. And when it doesn't live up to it, you kind of feel like, well, fine, I got ripped off. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way. Of so it. I, I realize I'm kind of throwing a lot of thoughts out on the fly, but when I think I, I thought I'll get myself set up. So I use uh, my editor of choice generally is, is um, the Mac version of Vim. And I mm-hmm. use that in tandem with the Firefox um, ASCII Doctor plugin. And it said, uh, and I was also getting it to do Reveal.js. And it mm-hmm. said, do this, 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 and it worked. And I honestly, I remember sitting there for at least two seconds thinking, it worked first time. Yeah. How, that, that's not meant to happen. And so, like, there was just a whole series of experiences that it's just worked really well. So I kind of keep getting sold on it. 
Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. So I had mentioned before why I passed on ASCII originally mm. because the website was so horrible. And so one of the things I decided to do as I was getting into ASCII is I said, I think we need to have a default style sheet uh, that's not the one from ASCII Python, but our own. And I, I started working on it and I studied very heavily, you know, the, the typography practices at the time and, and, uh, and um, you know, some of the frameworks that were proposing some of the default styling and um, I'll be honest, I don't particularly like Bootstrap because I think that the typography is really awful. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I gravitated towards a, a framework, a CSS framework called Foundation, which is, which is almost equally as popular in certain circles. Mm -hmm. And I liked Foundation because they used very large text and it was uh, the, the, the spacings and the line heights were, were very, very good for reading. So I said, well, this is a great foundation. I built one. That default ASCII Doctor style sheet is a lot of the reason why ASCII Doctor uh, gets people's attention right away. And even though I'm not a designer, I really want a designer to look at it in detail and try to refine it even further. Mm. Having a default style out of the box that made the writing look really professional actually goes a long way towards building trust in the people that are using it. And that default style sheet shows up in the Firefox plugin, the Chrome plugin, you know, when you use it from the command line and so mm. forth. And that's a really important fix that we brought, you know, that we brought to ASCIIDoc that ASCIIDoc Python did not do. And so I think that we get, it turns some heads. And I, be, I believe very strongly in rewarding the writer for what they've done. So they put in a little effort, you put in some effort, and then you reward them uh, for the work that they've done. And I think that that's what that default style sheet is achieving. And we do have, you know, there are some themes and things like that that you can pick from. But the default style sheet actually gets quite a lot of usage. And a lot of times that people publish the first version of their documentation, some project will switch over. They just go with the default style sheet. Then you have companies like Pivotal uh, that did the spring documentation in ASCII Doctor and they put a designer on it. And so they have their own rendition of it, which is their styling, which is their uh, brand colors. Mm -hmm. But actually you can sort of still see the default ASCII Doctor style sheet um, influence in their design so they didn't really totally abandon it so that means to me that they really felt like it was already doing a pretty uh, doing their content justice so I think that the default style sheet that's important the previews are important because again it allows people to get a picture it allows people to believe that what they're writing really will be able to be converted and, and it was funny I, I once saw this Twitter comment and someone said these people rail against WYSIWYG and then the first thing they talk about is a preview. And, I, and, and actually, it's a fair criticism, but it's actually not the same thing. I argue that the preview is about faith. It's about trusting that, that this content really will be able to be transformed. If you don't see that, then you're, then you're asking someone to take a pretty big leap of faith. So give them something that gives a reasonable output, and even if you have the ability to totally change that output or convert it to PDF or some other format, um, that at least they know that conceptually it works. Mm. And then they can also test some aspects. Like for instance, they can make sure that uh, you know certain metadata did get passed through and they're able to verify that by looking, um, or something's not getting picked up right, they're able to sort of verify that. So I think that the previews end up being more about trust than they are about uh, wanting to uh, edit um, the edit from a from from the final version or from the styled presentation. Mm -hmm. 
And there certainly are people that see it that way, that they actually can't write without seeing the preview always. Um, but then there are people that are at the other extreme. But I think that, again, it's about building trust. Now, the, the other thing you had mentioned is about, so that's about the output, the, the input. So I think one of the things that makes, what makes ASCII.org work? Um, I, I, you know, I thought about it and thought about it for, for many years now, and I was able to come up with two things that I think make the ASCII.doc syntax, well actually let's say three things, uh, that make the ASCII.doc syntax stand above the other markup languages and really, really resonate with uh, writers and developers. Mm -hmm. And I think number one is that it's um, left aligned. So. <laughs> The biggest problem with things like Markdown and Restructured Text is when you start to require indentation and you start nesting um, uh, structures, then the level of indentation gets kind of ridiculous and to some degree it's hard to count spaces. And uh, we, you, you, you sort of, I, I like to describe it that your content starts to float out into the ether and you're sort of not sure how much space and often because you don't know the exact number of spaces, you overdo it. And especially when you try three or four times and you're not getting it right, you just start overdoing it. So then there's just tons and tons and tons of indentation throughout the thing. And the ASCII doc is a completely left-aligned language. So every line touches the left uh, margin. Uh, there are places where you can put indentation. It's optional. The parser doesn't care. So if you feel like it helps you see it, you can put it. But then that means that you can put as much or as little as you want. It doesn't care. But for the most part, it's left aligned. And so no matter how deeply nested into the structure you get, uh, you never have to worry about indentation. And it solves the tabs versus spaces problem by ba basically <laughs> making space irrelevant. Okay. So um, I think that that helps a lot and especially helps for people that are coming in because they don't accidentally break the syntax uh, because they didn't have enough indentation. And then the, the, the that's number one. Um, oh, sorry. The other part of number one is that it's line oriented. And actually, I find this to be probably the most important thing for non-developer writers is that everything gets to be on its own line. So therefore, uh, it builds on a very simple idea of fenced, uh, fenced regions. So you know there's a beginning of something and an end of something. And then in between is where you write. And then when you need to do something new, whether it's a sidebar block or an example block, you put your two fences just like you know in github flavored markdown they call them fence code blocks but the idea is the same you put your fences and then you write inside the fences and the idea that you have a place to go write a box to put your content in actually works really well and we get, we take that a little further as you had mentioned by doing the sentence per line technique so in this strat in this uh, writing uh, style you at the end of every sentence you you hit return and you start a new line and I show this in my, in my writing tips talk, I show why this is so valuable by if you watch me in an editing session move around. But it means that I can reorient sentences without having to copy and paste and basically scissor the sentence out and try to insert it at a, at a place and fix all the spaces around it. I can just move lines up and down just like I move lines of code up and down. Mm -hmm. I, can, I, can make a, uh, I can split a paragraph by just putting a blank line between two sentences. Now they're part of two different paragraphs. I can move paragraphs around. I can move a sentence from one paragraph to another and so on and so forth. And if I don't want a line or I want to rewrite a sentence, I just comment out that line and I write a new sentence or rewrite the sentence underneath it. And I'll do that. I mean, that's probably the main thing that I do when I'm writing mm. 
is I'm commenting out lines and rewriting them, commenting out lines and rewriting them, but I can always then say, mm, actually the first one or the second one felt better, so I'll go back and uncomment that one and then comment this one out because that's how we write. We try stuff. We, we, we try what works and you have to basically write the sentence again. If you're, if you're trying to write a sentence again and you don't have the ability to comment out a line uh, because you're in something like Word, then what happens is you delete the whole sentence, you write it again, but you lost the reference to what you had written before, you have to undo to go back. These are unnatural things. So I think that actually by accident, we actually figured out a way to work with the brain a little bit better. So those types of techniques, I think, you know, they help make ASCII-Doc uh, easy to work with and very natural for, uh, for the flow of writing. Mm -hmm. So that was number one. Uh, number two um, was that it's, um, it's designed to be extended. So, so the the ASCII doc is actually a very very simple language, and any good um, a programmer would appreciate that any good uh, any good application, any good program is built from some fundamental building blocks, which you then extend over and over again. Every programming language we have is like this. We have a, a few basic constructs like classes and fields and such. And then on that, we can build you know, all kinds of things. We have a simple collection API, and then you can build any sort of collection that you want. So we have these ideas in programming. And so ASCII-Doc is like that. It basically has, um, it has blocks, it has uh, inline formatting, and it has, um, uh, it, it has macros. And so when you, when you take those three things, you can actually compose an entire language out of it because a sidebar is a block, an example is a block, a listing is a block, an image is a block. And they're basically one-to-one -one mapping with things in, in HTML, like, like a, you can think of it like a div. It's a block. And so, that okay, that maps well. And then inline, we have things like phrases, and phrases will be formatted. So we'll have you know, a bold phrase, or we'll have an italic phrase, or we'll have a monospaced phrase, but in the end, that's just a node that's a phrase. And so, that's really all ASCII-Doc is, and then it just takes that same pattern, and it just stamps it across the entire language. So, a sidebar block, an example block, a listing block, just have different symbols that are make up the fences that surround the content, but otherwise, they follow the exact same pattern. There's a start uh, there's a starting fence, there's an ending fence, the contents in between, a listing block is four hyphens, a sidebar is four asterisks, an example block is four equal signs, okay, but otherwise there, it's the same pattern over and over again. And then everything takes roles, everything takes attributes. So you can add metadata anywhere. So what that allows you to do is because you can add metadata anywhere, then you can make new types of things. So you can make new types of blocks, you can make new types of phrases, and you can make new types of macros, which are essentially you can think of as like functions. You can make um, func you know, uh, new types of functions. And so that I think is so important because that to me is what's missing from Markdown is that someone thought, let me write a blog post and I'll tell everyone what they'll, all the things they'll ever need and no one will ever need anything else and I know everything and they'll just write with this language. <laughs> and that clearly, no, you know, everyone can agree that doesn't yeah. work. So the problem is people said, hey, Markdown is really nice. What happens if I want to do a blank? Uh -huh. So let's say, hey, I need to embed a video. 
or I need to put audio, or I need to make an example block, or I need to put a sidebar. And the response from Markdown is one of two. It's either, sorry, uh, that's, well, I've actually heard it to be so presumptuous as, you don't really need what? that. Or, sorry, you can't do that. The other alternative is, well, we have this great version of Markdown, uh, yeah. which has that feature. That's great, except that version of Markdown has videos. That version of Markdown has sidebar blocks. That version of Markdown has quote blocks or admonition blocks or whatever, except I need the one that has video and admonition and uh -huh. this. And they're like, oh, why well, we have Super Markdown, which is going to have all the things. And then you're like, that's great, except this doesn't look like Markdown anymore. Yeah. This looks like some sort of new language. So what's great about ASCIIDoc is that, is that you can create sort of a dialect of ASCIIDoc. And no matter how many new types of blocks you add to ASCIIDoc, anyone looking at it will say, this still looks like ASCIIDoc because it still has the exact same patterns over and over again, except you change the words, you change the phrases. So I'll give you one concrete mm -hmm. example. So in ASCIIDoc, we have an image block. Now, the way it's done in Markdown is it's like, a square bracket and an explanation point and some sort of word and then another bracket and then it's like a ton of symbols and there's not a lot of this is an image. Mm. So the way it works in ASCII doc is the word image, two colons, the path to the image, and then square brackets. And you can think of it as the function name is image, the primary argument is the path, mm -hmm. and then in square brackets that means that if there's some other metadata that you need to put, they go in the square brackets. Those are the optional arguments that would be in a method. And every programming language in the entire world has this structure. So when you look at it, you say, well, this makes sense. If I want a video, stands to reason. I don't really know ASCII doc. Maybe I'm a writer who's not super technical. But I'm imagining that if I change the word image to video, then I'll get a video. Yep. Exactly. That's exactly how it works. And that is true across the entire board for ASCII doc is that we just went ahead and used the um, accepted terminology for things, for objects, and we built that into the language. And now if you want to do a chart, well, there's no such thing as chart in ASCII doc core, but you can say, I want to create a new macro. We call them macros, there's functions, and we call it chart. And then the primary path might be the, the data, it, maybe it's a file, a data file, and then in parentheses, or in square brackets rather, I may have some options, like I want to make it a bar chart, or I want to make it a line chart, or etc. So obviously I'm going to need to customize it and configure it, that's what that's for. But again, every single macro follows the exact same pattern, function, primary argument, optional argument. And anyone can learn that, and it never ceases to be ASCII doc just because you change the word image to chart. So that's the beauty of it. I had, yeah, I had noticed that. That was that one thing of that sense of consistency. And I don't feel the same thing about RST. Um, that is, it, 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 look, I could be wrong and someone could like really call me out, but uh, I won't qualify myself any further. But it, it just <laughs> doesn't have that same kind of feel to it. I, as you sort of say it, something sort of started to click. I guess, you know, it's, it's that, it's like, oh, yeah, that, that comes through and I was remembering different examples and thought, yeah, no, that pattern re repeats. I can definitely agree with that. And that was also one of the things that got me about it. Um, cause I read a post by someone who I think is heavily involved in, is it make the docs and Sphinx and RST. And that, and that was at one point he said, it was about sort of that thing with Markdown. It was that exact same argument. And it's that one that I've come across myself. 
If I stay within the confines of generic markdown, yep, no problem. However, I will only be able to express myself so deeply. And I went past that limit a long time ago, I think. Um, and I can hack it and all that, but then, as you say, you, you, you've now got like, like, like a hybrid version of markdown and you're going back to HTML anyway. So you then limit to what you can then export it to. Um, and then that other point of, well, this combination will work on GitHub. This combination will work in that tool. And it's, it's very much that. And so the more you do the hacks, the more it's eventually going to have to have workarounds for workarounds. And seeing, I think there was a, I think I read it very early in when I was reading the, the, the ASCII doc site. And I saw that and said, you can extend it. And I thought, okay, hang on, you absolutely have grabbed my attention at this point. <laughs> because, great, because there'll invariably be a situation which I'll come across, which I have, I, I can't see now because I haven't had um, the motivation or the reason to see it, which is so great. When that, when that time invariably comes, I'm in a much better position to be able to just continue on and not go, okay, is there some tool I can work into what I'm already doing? You know, do I have to kind of go find another format sort of thing? So that was really heartening. And as you say, it's that it, it builds confidence. It builds trust. It builds that feeling of I've made the right choice. So, exactly. yeah, on, on so many levels, um, I've been really stoked so far. Absolutely. So... So one of the things we get asked about a lot, though, is like, so, what, you know, what about Sphinx? Or what about, oh, have you seen this site, um, you know, readme.io or something that, that will automatically generate a bunch of things? And this is actually something we were very careful about in, in ASCII Doctor is we've built it out. And I think that it's kind of, for me, it's kind of the third thing that makes ASCII Doc uh, unique is what we've done with it. And that is that we've recognized that there won't be a space uh, for everyone if we try to build a monolithic solution. So in my mind, you know, I think that Sphinx or even the DocBook toolchain um, are extremely useful tools and they're going to apply to certain audiences and those certain audiences are going to be able to save a lot of time by just going with what's the default and going with, with what's there. But the problem is that's not what everyone's use case is. Mm. And when you say Sphinx is really great, but could we do this other thing that hasn't been anticipated with it? And the response that you get right away is the response that actually matters the most to me is one of hesitation. Well, let me think about how that's done. So what we say in Ask a Doctor is absolutely. What do you want to do? You can do whatever you want to do. Do you have to use Jekyll to build your Ask a Doc site? No, you don't. But is there a Jekyll plugin? Yeah. Is there a middleman plugin? Absolutely. And will someone put together a package um, which provides a full stack of, for a certain audience? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, Spring does exactly that. Spring has, uh, the, the Pivotal team has a project called Spring Rest Docs. And what it does is it allows you to kind of integrate ASCII Doctor and, and um, something, uh, something that documents your, your RESTful APIs together. And it's kind of an all-in-one solution for documenting RESTful APIs and just doing API documentation for de developers in general. And that's great because what we want to see is initiatives like that where people are offering uh, solutions, they're offering stacks, maybe even to the point of products, like in the case of, of Pivotal, they actually you know, are offering this um, in their product suite 
That's great. We want to encourage that. We want Sphinx, but we want multiple Sphinxes. We want like a whole ecosystem of Sphinxes mm -hmm. that are all going to be very tailored towards the specific use case. And it's not a one size fits all solution. And it goes back to, to what makes, uh, what is the most what is the most important thing for the core development team to be focused on which is the fact that ASCII Dr. Core should provide a very strong abstract uh, model for the document and it should provide a way to plug in extensions and if the, if it can if those two parts of the of the core are very strong you know we've seen time and again that the best ecosystems are built on an extension based model where the core focuses on providing an, ex, uh, an extension mechanism and then the value is added and built on top of mm -hmm. that. And so I think that what it allows too is that when you realize you're going down the wrong path, like for instance, I worked pretty hard on the Jekyll ASCII doc integration because I was trying to understand the, what I could do with it and the limits. And my conclusion was while I think it's good, I think that actually Jekyll is the wrong solution long term for doing uh, large scale content sites. because. I don't think the architecture is right, um, but all of a sudden this this um, static site generator called Metalsmith came along, and I started reading up about it, and I was like, now this is the model that seems to be where we should be headed, because it's abstracting away the whole site into a model, and then you can manipulate it. So, for instance, it has like a virtual file system. It doesn't necessarily scan for files. That's pluggable, etc. And you know, you have a lot of static site generators that assume a certain structure. Mm -hmm. They assume that they're responsible for scanning the file system. So my point is, is that you you have a new model come around, and you say, hey, let's try a new thing. So we'll start a new integration. We'll take ASCII Doctor Core. We'll integrate with Metalsmith. We'll do something. Uh, like that. And I think that you have to keep room for innovation like that. When you invest in a monolithic solution, you kind of, innovation is a threat because innovation threatens the, the thing that everyone is trying to work on. And, and I think that that's not what we need in content. What we need is a diversity of solutions, a diversity of innovation. And at times we'll have stacks that will really be good. And then at times there will be disruption and then we'll move to something new. So we want to always keep that uh, that organic cycle going and that I think is where we're we're going to win in the long term on this stuff because we have that philosophy and we're not going to get undermined by our own you know by innovation in general and innovation within our own community uh, because we support innovation and we support disruption okay um okay we're well, going from the sort of like the really broad there um mm -hmm. to sort of more than narrow um let, let's take the use case of say a you know someone who's doing documentation in an organization um mm -hmm. on say a day-to-day -day basis so you're not necessarily looking at sort of like such broad picture um what would you suggest or what do you feel from experience is is a really workable sort of workflow or sort of tool chain that helps that person do what they do uh, as as nimbly as as flexibly as as possible that's a great question so um, I, there's a couple ways to look at this. I mean, number one way, of course, that, that comes up in its um, first in developer's mind always is what tools do you use, mm -hmm. you know, to, to sort of do mm -hmm. this stuff. And I, as I mentioned earlier, Git definitely is uh, where it's at. I mean, GitHub continues to add a lot of great tools for things like collaboration and uh, re code review. And I think that code review is um, too specific because it could just as easily be docs review and I've, we've done uh, just that. So 
the idea is, hey, here's some content changes I'm proposing in a pull request, and people can jump in and just, you know, they can comment on the thread, or they can go to a specific line and add a comment, or they can start a, a docs review. And now that you can push, uh, so maintainers can push back to the pull request, we can, you actually have the point where uh, an editor can actually push an, a revised, you know, add another commit to the stack and, and with some revisions. And so we can actually start moving forward. Um, not quite as real time, let's say, as Google Docs, but definitely uh, much more auditable uh, and, and good for a, an asynchronous team, or a team working across time zones or, or across different schedules. So I think that it definitely starts with collaboration is critical, and I think that we're seeing that in, in GitHub. There's still some growing pains in how it applies to Docs, mm -hmm. but we're working through that, and GitHub continues to add new features. And, and I also... For our own business, for my own business, we use GitLab, and I, I like GitLab as well. And I think some great ideas are coming from GitLab over to GitHub, and, and vice versa. So both of those tools are great. Um, I, I don't have as much experience using Bitbucket, but I know they're they're really great tools there as well. So that that is a is an important shared component is is that we're going to work in a Git repository. Um, for for developers kind of locally on their own machine, uh, the tooling for ASCII Doctor continues to get a lot better. So there's two really strong options right now that um, that I like to talk about. You had mentioned the the uh, the browser plugins, which I actually use on a daily basis just to ad hoc visit a file and not have to worry about converting it. The browser handles it for me, and I can see a preview. But when you're really in the flow and you're a writer and you're working with a project, you're going to probably want something a little bit more um, integrated. And so there is a plugin for Atom, and we've found that writers really, really like using uh, that environment. They like Atom, they find it easy to set up, and the plugin is has a really good syntax highlighting for ASCII doc and a good preview window, and it does a nice job. And what's great about all of our tooling is that it uses the exact same implementation of our converter, uh, whether it's ASCII Doctor Ruby, ASCII Doctor JavaScript, or ASCII Doctor Java. Every one of those is actually the same implementation under the cover, so you get the same um, you get the same uh, consistency in the conversion. So, and you can use your your extensions and plugins and mm -hmm. stuff. So you have Atom, and then but I think you know developers already have IDEs, right? They um, a lot of developers will use um, uh, like for instance, IntelliJ makes a, an entire suite of IDEs for just about every language, but it all has a common core. Mm -hmm. That common core. Uh, IntelliJ uh, has a ASCII Doctor plugin, which is going to work whether you're using IntelliJ IDEA, um, uh, RubyMine, or uh, what is it, PyCharm, mm -hmm. or whatever the whatever the name is. Anyway, it works in all of them, all the all the the um, variants. And then uh, there's there's um, it's less for, uh, far along, but the but the Eclipse uh, tooling is being worked on for ASCII doc as well, so that that should be there. But it's nice to be able to have your project files where you can code, especially if you're a developer, or even if you're a, a writer who is technically oriented and, and has the code up because they're referring to the code to document it. Uh, everything's in the same project file, so you can you know you can open up a Java file or a Ruby file or a PHP file next to your ASCII doc file and you can be you know writing and editing uh, in the same environment. It's not like you have to switch environments. You can open the preview pane, you can close the preview pane, so on and so forth. You have your Git integration in your IDE. So I do believe that IDEs are important and we talk about the idea of having an IDE for writers 
And I think that's happening now. Like it's not just a um, it's not just a vision. It's it's really a materializing because it's not like we have to create an IDE. That's already solved. What we just have to do is we have to integrate with an IDE, add the the plugins for an IDE. And I think that um, the more we get developers using something like IntelliJ's ASCII Doctor plugin, the better that plugin will get because they themselves, being developers, will many of them will will be interested in contributing either bug reports or code changes improvements even ideas or suggestions so i think the more that developers use it the better it's going to be for writers now do i imagine a writer opening up intellij let's let's see maybe that'll happen maybe like i said maybe it'll start with the writers who already have intellij running because they like i mentioned they're browsing the code base to document it and maybe then that they'll sort of pass it on to their writer friends who don't have that workflow but they do see the value in the IDE. So th that that kind of covers the tooling thing and then the one other thing I want to mention is about content going back to the beginning about the paper napkin. So I give a talk called uh, seven ways to hack your brain to write fluently and, and since I've over the years that I've been writing and writing in plain text I've realized that there's certain things that I do to motivate myself to write certain patterns and one of the patterns that I think that is quite profound that we figured out that may have actually cracked the the code if you will of how to get developers to give you the writers the information they need the raw material they need to be able to write tutorials and guides and reference documentation mm -hmm. is this what developers do their protocol the one that they respond to the best is questions I, I almost argue that in some ways that developers like answer robots right I mean, uh, they they that's the 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 stimuli that seems to to get them going and it's because of the way development is development is always about solving a problem or answering you know sort of answering a question is this possible can this be done how is this done and it's why we we see uh, tools like stack overflow just you know explode uh, over the last decade is because the the currency of developers is questions and answers so if, a if you ask a developer, write a tutorial about how to do, um, uh, how to write this web application, they'll never get started because they don't know what to share. They have all the knowledge, they just don't know what to share in what order. But if you say to them, um, what is the first thing that you have to do in order to write a web application? Well, they'll be able to give you the answer to that question right away. As a matter of fact, they are almost eager to sort of get that question off the table. It's almost uncomfortable to have that out there as a question and it's not answered. So that, that's their protocol. So what we came up with, uh, we realized, is that if you, instead of said write a tutorial, you just sent them a, a document that just had a bunch of questions in it and told them to answer the questions. They answer the questions. This is the writer, the, 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 um, uh, the writing lead would do this, right? The person who outlined the, the, the document. They would send that to the developer, just answer these questions. Then they get the document back, they convert the, they convert the questions to uh, section titles, and then you have a tutorial. So this idea of hacking the developer by making them answer questions to extract the information may be the key to unlock the collaboration between writers and developers. And you may say, well, well, they answered all those questions, but that isn't itself a tutorial. And I would agree, 
but it's very clear to the person who's editing what is then missing. So then you just say, okay, there's still some gaps, new questions. There's a new file, there's a new questions file. Can you, can you check it out, answer the questions, check it back in and commit it to the Git repository. And then we've given it back to the writer. The writer takes it, they add the new information in and one by one we build it up. And then you, the final thing that you do is you give the tutorial to the developer and you say, this is what we're going to tell everyone to do. Do you agree with this? And that triggers the next part of the developer's brain, which I think is about facts. So questions are the one side and then facts are the other. When you give a developer a bunch of statements, their mind immediately fine tunes those uh, statements. So it, it will find errors. Like if you say, um, you know, well, um, you make a statement, something like um, parallelization and uh, is, or no, I, I know it is. RESTful APIs are basically just um, implementing Hadios. And developers like, what? That's so wrong. Have you even read the spec? But that's beautiful because we have them participating mm -hmm. and we have them amped up to actually get in there and fix it. And you're like, this is what we're going to send to everyone. And they're like, don't send that here. Let me fix it. And then they, they'll go through and revise. So you really have to give them a purpose. You can't just say to them, can you just write a tutorial? And I believe that, that why this is so great is because if you had them structuring a tutorial or a training, then I don't think that the results would be the way that you want them because that's not what their expertise is. That's the job of the writer, the information architect, uh, you know, the, the, the content lead, is that they should know how to do structures. They should know how to do outlines. They should know how to disseminate information uh, and, and partition that information. What they don't know is the definitions of the terms, the specific recommendations, the tips, the guidelines. And, and so if they can put a structure together and they can get the developers to fill in the flesh, you know, they put the bones together, the developers fill in the flesh, that I think unlocks the key to collaboration. You know, and that, and that I think is what we're going to see will totally change the landscape of content creation in, in technical writing is that if we do that, then people will be able to, going back to the very beginning, you had said when you're reading the documentation and it's wrong, the question is who made it wrong? And I doubt, seriously doubt that a developer stated that. So what it is, is they didn't get a chance to revise that particular recommendation or statement because they would have known, they would have known that that wasn't right. Instead, what you had them do is you had them, you know, spending, expending all of their energy on you know, section titles and, and, and um, you know, tutorial lengths and, and stuff like that, which they hated doing. And they never really got a chance to do that. But if you could get them uh, tuned in to truly be a tech editor, to truly be the tech, uh, to, to provide the substance, then I think when we read those documentations, uh, when we read that, those guides, we'll, we'll, we'll recognize the words the sentences that are coming from the experts' mouths, and that's what we have to get to. You know, it's about it's about being efficient, and it's about putting uh, the the focus in the right areas. Okay. Well, that actually is is a is an awesome answer to a question that's been, I guess, been sort of on sitting on my mind since I sort of started in this new role, and because I've always been like a mix of both. I never was necessarily in. What we, I, well, I would say the, the information architect role. Like, 
the person who has to make sure that the developers give that information over. It's usually, here's my <laughs> bit, I did my bit, I'm happy to write it, you know, allowing for, for time. So now sort of being on that other side is, it's, it's an awesome answer to a question I'm thinking, I'm not quite sure how to answer it. And I wasn't sure how long might my experiment um, last for. So <laughs> I'm actually keen to give it a try as a Monday. Um, but I see we're sort of, we're a smidge over an hour. So I don't want to, uh, though I could probably happily listen for, for quite some time, I don't want to take loads and loads of your time. If there is anything that, well, besides what, you know, the, the excellent um, sell that you've already given so far, uh, you know, maybe there's like a, a talk you've got coming up. Maybe there's like another plug for an upcoming release of sort of ASCII Doctor or uh, where it's going to be used, something. Oh, yeah, something you just want to um, get out and talk about. Um, here, sure. is, here is the, I don't know, like however long to, to tell everybody about what it is that you would like to, to get off your chest. Sure. So actually, one of the things that I would I would say to people that are checking out ASCII Doctor is to get a true appreciation for what's possible. Uh, going back to the beginning, you had mentioned you do you're doing some slides in Reveal JS. Um, we we have converters for Reveal JS, uh, Deck JS, and a new presentation framework uh, that um, I've been working on or newer uh, called Bespoke. And actually, I find that um, that. That converter and the reveal converter are, are both uh, really high quality uh, uh, converters for presentations in the ideas that they've, uh, they've explored so far. But one of the things that's really interesting is this idea of being able to have one source of information and being able to generate presentation slides which get rendered and executed through an HTML framework. and your content, which will then go off and maybe be a blog article, uh, blog article, or you know maybe even a mini book or something like that, or a training uh, site. And so this, what we're trying to experiment with here is how can we have content reuse in the training script, the presentation slides, the script that's uh, spoken, the the written, um, sorry, the spoken speech, and than the articles that shared after. And we're trying to explore this idea of a common repository and a way to do it so that we can have the, the slides, we can have the speech, but then we have some sort of worksheet or handout that goes afterwards or a companion article or something like that. And getting away from people saying, well, I just do my slides in Keynote because now you've duplicated your content, it lives in another world, in another realm, and where are your speaker notes? Are they jammed in and stuck and, and trapped? All this valuable, all these valuable points that you want to make are trapped inside of, of the keynote file, and they can't easily be uh, you know, uh, shared and, and collaboration is difficult. You, can't, you don't get to use the Git repository like we did before. So we're really trying to single source uh, content for for a um, an effort that is you know the whole the whole of the effort whether it be a training or a presentation that you give or a workshop or lab or something like that and we've had a number of people doing this model and it, it's working really well like the Java EE uh, tutorials and hands-on lab is actually all it's just one get repository it has a bunch of example code it has an ASCII doc document that's the worksheet it has 
presentation slides, etc., that people can use. So this idea of of bringing it all together under one roof and um, and getting people to be able to collaborate on it, and even a whole team to be able to collaborate collaborate on, it is really uh, important. And the way that's all made possible is. Uh, in addition to having the regular ASCII doc converter, we have this ASCII doctor bespoke converter, and so it reads through an ASCII doc file and converts it into an HTML presentation. And we're working on a new presentation console as well because we think that actually part of the experience of giving a good training or a presentation is also having a really good speaker experience. And again, people, you know, fall back to using Keynote and its and pre its presentation mode. But as my colleague Hubert Sablinero always says, like, you know, the web can be more powerful and do more things than that desktop application that you have. And it can integrate with more services than that desktop application you have. So why are we not using the browser for that? And so this presentation console, it's a web application that runs locally and it, it communicates with multiple windows. We have our... Uh, remote controller that we've programmed to you know to send key events and then the HTML page responds to those key events we can do things like move between slides you know um, have some sort of animation activate on the screen and so on and so forth so we're trying to push the, the point here is we're trying to push the limits of what ASCII.doc can handle not just to say hey it handles this this document or this book but it actually can be the center point of all of your content and even the delivery of that content and we kind of extend and, and move beyond the world of just ASCII doc to you know presentation uh, web-based presentation console web-based presentation toolings uh, frameworks etc but we're not just you know we're not just saying everything is about ASCII doc in this one document it's more that's the beginning of the journey and then where does the content go on once it gets converted and trans and transformed etc and that's going to involve tooling in other ways um, as well so it's it's it would be the best way to think about the ASCII doctor ecosystem is really as a as a ecosystem around tooling for content and delivery and not just tooling around the ASCII doc format. Okay. So we really are trying to explore all of those avenues, and again, doing that, doing it the same way that we have this modular approach to the ecosystem. Meaning, there's a bespoke converter, there's a reveal converter. Both are good. Both are taking ideas from each other and and sharing on ideas. And whether you're a reveal person or a bespoke person, uh, you still get to use the same ASCII doc document, the same basic structure, could still power both of them. You have a choice. It's not, it's not one or the other. And uh, we, we encourage that because, because, the, because the people working on the reveal converter will have some great ideas that we didn't think of. Reveal will have a feature we want to add to another thing. So I think it's important to have that diversity um, in the ecosystem. But we really want to be, we really want to be about creating technical educational content and using a developer oriented approach or mindset okay. and that's really what we want ASCII doctor and and my company open device uh this is what we specialize in but really that's what we want to be able to enable for people is is something that is holistic something that is going to be for a whole team and for a whole uh you know a whole group and all the solutions that come from it. And we, we'll do it by composing solutions from all the constituent parts that we can pull together. 
and like I had mentioned before. So I think the bespoke converter is a nice example of that. And probably the other um, the other direction that people go is, you know, can you create PDF? So I'm very happy to say um, that I have right beside me the very first book that was printed directly from a PDF document, essentially a PostScript document, that was built from ASCII Doctor without any other tooling other than the ASCII Doctor PDF converter. So it's taking ASCII Doc and without going through LaTeX, without going through the DocBook toolchain, it's creating a PDF document and that PDF document was sent directly to a printer and it was made into a book. Wow. So that I think is a really big step yeah. because we were able to take on creating the PDF format entirely ourselves. Not without some issues of course and actually creating the book really really helped to improve it and there's still some ways to go but I think that it shows that we can we can turn what's on screen directly into a book and that's possible and maybe even in a self-publishing environment as well so you don't even need sort of the I you know a lot of people will say oh when it comes to PDF I just pay people well we have a solution now where you don't necessarily have to do that you you have the option and the reason that was possible in addition to cracking the nut of just making a PDF which was hard enough as it was the the PDF has a theming engine in it. The PDF uh, converter has a theming engine in it. And I thought about this a lot, about how I would do a theming engine. And I what I decided was the most familiar and powerful um, theming language that people would be able to connect with, especially developers, would be something like CSS. Mm. So what I did was I took the ideas. It's CSS inspired. It's not a CSS implementation, but it's CSS inspired in that you... Every block is like a CSS class or, or a, you know, an HTML element. So it's a selector, and then each selector has its a set of properties. And those properties can be things like font color, font style, font family, etc. And using that, and you can have borders and backgrounds, etc. Like that. Using that abstraction, you're able to brand your PDF without a lot of without a lot of um, expertise. You just simply say, I want to use this monospace font, I want to use this serif font, and for listing blocks, I want to have this line height, and I want to have this border color, and then, then I'm done, right? I got my branding, I'm done. I don't have to mess with XSL templates, I don't have to mess with, uh, you know, with code, I don't have to do any of that stuff. And so I think that making PDFs seem more approachable, making it not seem so so foreign and so scary was, was an important part of, again, going back to building the trust in the developers that you really can take this content and do some pretty amazing things with it. And I think the best quote uh, that we've, that, that I've ever come across that really gets this point across is uh, Scott Chacoon who wrote uh, the Git book for, um, he wrote it in ASCII mm -hmm. uh, for A-Press I think it's called Pro. Yeah, it's called yep. ProGet. ProGet Two is actually written in ASCII Doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, "With ASCII Doc, I can write content, and then I can do amazing things with it." And I think that's kind of the key message to sort of go away is that by putting your content in this format, we not only uh, want you to be able to do amazing things with your content, we really try hard to give you the tools that allow you to do what it is that you want to do with your content because it's all about you and what types of of things that you want to do with your content not us telling you this is what you can do and that's the end of it we we want to basically empower you to do the things that you need to do with your content okay excellent 
Well, I'm glad that, you know, I've um, definitely set off in the right direction. Um, so this is the thank you very much for, for being on the show. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure. Yes, thank you very much for having me on the show. I, you, you can be sure that when it comes to talking about this stuff, I always enjoy it. So thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. Not a problem at all. All right, so what did you think of the Fireside Chat with Dan Allen? I admit, he is a very, very excited, excitable individual. But after, if you get into the format, if you give ASCII-Doc a try, at least in comparison to using Markdown, and perhaps I'll be unfair to say restructured text, you can see why. Look, I won't keep my outro too long, because uh, there was such great value, and the episode did go on for a bit. I mean that in no bad way. I mean, it was just absolutely packed full of goodies. So... I'll just let this be cheerio from me, but if you want any more information about anything that you have heard in this episode, check out episode 21 of Free the Geek FM. You can find that at www.freethegeek.fm forward slash episode forward slash episode hyphen zero zero two one. That's forward slash episode forward slash episode hyphen zero zero two one. And I'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>